The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. How do you define mental health for yourself? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Today, I want to introduce you to Dr. Sherry Walling. She sits at this really cool intersection. She's a clinical psychologist who works specifically with entrepreneurs. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, what does that have to do with me? I'm not an entrepreneur, but I challenge that you are. Since you got on this planet, you've been making decisions for yourself about yourself. And through adulthood, you're making a series of choices that a creator has to make. As the architect of your life, you're tapping into the entrepreneurial spirit that maintains your personal well-being, your household, your relationships, and your work. Think of your impact starting as a small ripple that works its way outward. Centering your own well-being is for the sake of you, but it's also for the sake of everybody else you encounter. So let's start there. How do you define mental health for yourself? I came into this conversation uh, as a fairly traditional clinical psychologist, but I was very interested in people who had high-intensity jobs. So ER physicians, first responders, members of the military, people who had really intense things happen to them in the context of their work. And I was really curious, you know, kind of as a graduate student, as an early stage clinician, about how to help support thriving in that particular group of folks. So I had this professional curiosity, and then I married a tech entrepreneur. And so there were entrepreneurs in my living room from my early 20s on. And I realized there were a lot of parallel conversations happening between my clinical clients who were having what we might classically understand as trauma in the context of their work. And a lot of my entrepreneur friends were struggling with some of the same experiences, the same kinds of feelings, the same kinds of challenges. Mental health has become something that's at the forefront of conversations happening all over the place. And at the same time, it's sort of like this all-encompassing term. What does it actually mean to prioritize or assess or understand our mental health? Shorthand, I just think of mental health as the bucket that holds our relational well-being, our emotional well-being, the healthiness of our thoughts, and the way that we are able to see and engage with the world. So it's the things I say to myself about myself or about my world, and it's also the way I am with the people in my world. Yeah, and how you're feeling about all of that, mm. right? your emotional quality, your mood. Got it. As a coach and as someone who's in this world, I'm like, of course this is important, but I also know there's the cynical people who might be like, what do you mean how am I feeling about this? Like, why is it so important? The conversation about mental health is I think incredibly important because I think it can make or break who you become as a professional. Your ability to 
believe in yourself, to see yourself as someone who has something to offer the world and to have the confidence and enough optimism and get up and go to bring that giftedness to fruition. All of that is essentially a mental health process. It's about mood. It's about cognition. It's about focus. Those are all things that are based in the neurological function of our brain, but then also have this kind of subjective interpretation in the way that we apply them. So what are you learning and what have you learned from the world of entrepreneurship that any of us could apply, whether we started a business or not? Yeah, I think one of the things that's become clearer to me is that the early stories of our lives are things that we carry in our backpack and they come out at different points, sometimes in unpredictable, surprising ways, but they matter a great deal in who we become professionally. And I say that as somebody who kind of came into my field thinking, I'm not going to be the kind of psychologist that talks to people about their mother. Like, I'm going to be very problem focused (laughs) and very practical. And we're just not going to worry about that early kid stuff. And, um, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, I'm learning so much about how kind of wrong my perspective is. Not that the here and now isn't really important as a focal point, but the here and now is so heavily defined by what's come before, by all the moments that have accumulated to this moment. And so I think that becomes really important for leaders to have a handle on how to access their past and the ways that it shapes them. So when we're talking about mental health and when we're talking about leaders, entrepreneurs, you know, people who are planning to be leaders and entrepreneurs, we're talking about looking back at where we've been so that we can understand how and why we're showing up the way we are today with the purpose of healing. Yes, and also the purpose of moving into the future. So I think when we're talking about good mental health, in some ways we're talking about the ability to time travel well, to understand where we've been, where we are now, and what's possible for us and where we'd like to go in the future. Whoa, I need to pause there. Time travel well. That That's a moment. It's very like interstellar, <laughs> right? Like where's Matthew McConaughey walking in <laughs> to be like, let me show you how to time travel. Green light. Yeah. <laughs> Green light. <laughs> I love that idea. And listen, I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about the first time someone said to me something about an inner child. And I was like, oh my God, no. It's eye happening roll, again. Roll. Yeah. Yep. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Have an inner child. You know, she's fine. Um, but what I, I realized as I was starting to really kind of dig into this is that so much of our worldview, our emotions, our perceptions, um, The language we use about ourselves when we speak to ourselves, which we're constantly doing, is formed even in the first seven years of our life because that's when our subconscious is taking in all this information and kind of molding us and saying, this is Mm -hmm. what the world is. Yes. And it's also where some of those 
neuron connections are being laid about how we in our minds and in our bodies respond to the world around us. Mm. So our capacity to work with stress, whether we get really activated when we're stressed or whether we sort of shut down, some of those pathways get pretty well entrenched really young, really early on in our lives. So those are just important things for us to know as people who are wanting to be really mindful and aware of how we respond when we face challenges. Of course, since COVID, we've seen an astronomical rise in entrepreneurship. Many women as well who are entering either, you know, by sheer need or because finally they have the space to actually think about what they want and have the support to to create. What do you see along the way when it comes to becoming an entrepreneur, building your business and mental health? Where are our pitfalls and our peaks Yeah, I'm glad you're pointing out that this is an issue for so many people. I'm sure you're familiar with the recent study by Intuit QuickBooks that identified or projected rather that 17 million people in the U.S. are going to start businesses in the year 2022, which is just huge. It's a huge segment of our world that's going out into this kind of new unknown territory. And As a full disclosure, I love being an entrepreneur, but I do think it's really important to tell the truth about some of the highs and lows that people experience on the journey towards entrepreneurship. And one of the things, especially at the beginning, that people may not realize is that you come into your business with a set of skills, right? You're good at something. You have a history of something, whether it's woodworking or cupcake making or whatever it is that you're going to put forth into the world in a form of a business. You're probably pretty good at that. But when you start a business, there's all these other things that maybe you aren't good at yet, right? Accounting, payroll, like figuring out how to hire people, figuring out how to get health insurance for yourself and your employees, all of the nuts and bolts that can be really draining on this exciting dream that you're embarking on. All of a sudden, you're bogged down in logistics and you're bogged down in spreadsheets and the things that maybe weren't your dream um, that can be really disheartening and kind of an energy zap right at the beginning. Yeah. You start flying high with this dream of changing the world. And then two months in, you're like, wait, I have to you know, do pivot tables and <laughs> figure out a marketing yeah. strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and like taxes, like what am I supposed to do? And we know from the literature and burnout that one of the strongest predictors of burnout is the gap between how people spend their time and what's really important to them. Mm. So what do we do? Do we outsource everything we don't want to do and kind of move into that strengths-based approach to the work? Don't think that's bad advice. If you can reasonably outsource the things that are kind of the drain on your life force, why not? Double down on what you're good at, double down on where you have that really unique kind of magic, and give yourself over to the things that are most life-giving to you. But the things that other people maybe are better equipped to support you with and advise you on or pieces of software that are helpful and can do things for you, that tends to be a really great investment to help preserve that energy for you to do the things that most matter. So when you're starting a business and you've got this amazing vision and this dream, what I imagine right now is with, you know, 
most of the world on social media and everyone trying to get their piece of like the famous pie or the successful pie, that it could be easy to get lost in the world of like, am I successful enough? Have I made it? What advice do you have for people when thinking about like what they actually want versus what social media tells them they're supposed to want or makes them valuable enough? Yeah. I think it's so helpful to remember that social media probably belongs in the fiction category in the old library, right? That there's a lot of storytelling and the stories are wonderful and beautiful. And I post fun photos on mine too, but it it is a fictionalized view of the world. So keeping that caveat sort of front and that. center for ourselves. <laughs> you remember the library when you had to go to sections of according course. to what kind of book you wanted? Yeah. I was always in fiction. <laughs> Me too, right? A Wrinkle in Time, please. I'd like to read it for the 18th time. So once we acknowledge that, then we are back to holding our own reality for ourselves. And I think one of the things about success is that many of us think about it as a binary, as a, yes, I'm successful or no, I'm not. And of course it, it isn't. That's sort of a false dichotomy that we are always working towards success when we're growing, when we're advancing, when we're getting back up from failures. And when people set goals that are, you know, those big hairy goals that we like to talk about, the things that we dream of, that we visualize, that we want to pursue, go for it, do that. But also set yourself lots of little stair-step goals along the way so that you are more in touch with this sense of becoming who you want to be as an entrepreneur, rather than arriving at a place. One of the things that I have learned so much about working with entrepreneurs who are further along in the journey is that people get to this place where their companies are going public or they're selling their business and they're having these, you know, big giant exits and it's supposed to be the arrival. And those folk really often experience a lot of depression, a lot of lostness, because they've gotten to this place of success and they don't know what to do. What's next? Who am I now? They've put everything into this one benchmark in their lives. And so I think the more that we understand that there are many arrivals, there are many successes, and that they are emerging over time along the way, the better we are and the more flexible we are uh, in our mental health and sort of our understanding of what it is we're doing in our business. I love this concept of of many arrivals. And I talk about the idea of the progress principle a lot because it's been something that's helped me along my own journey. One of my teachers said to me at one point, you know, effort is your currency. Like, mm -hmm. stop making the end goal your currency. Your effort is your currency. And I got really annoyed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, effort's my currency, but I have goals, right? Um, and... What I learned once I processed that uh, was that the thing that connected the dots for me between, you know, pushing towards this arrival versus becoming was gratitude. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't expected. It was something that I had never really spent time with, but I started doing daily three good things. And it has completely transformed the experience such that, like, when I've arrived at certain points and people have said, oh, my God, you must be so excited – it's like, yeah, I'm excited, but I've, I actually have been celebrating along the way. Yeah. I love that framing. And the, certainly gratitude is a really core ingredient to that celebrating all along the way. 
maybe a, another ingredient I might add to the mix is the concept of play. That when we are bringing playfulness to our work, to our life in all of the different capacities, that it feels less like effort toward an end, but this real kind of lightness and curiosity and playfulness that is part of the whole process. And the more that we can bring play in, I think the less that we feel the strain of just the muscly effort. <laughs> you know, it, when I'm thinking about what I want to do during the day, laughter is always at the top of my list because I think it's so important. Um and I also think, you know, becoming an entrepreneur or becoming any type of public figure, there's this sort of giving over of self. And you talked about this in an episode of your show about Simone Biles and what we could learn from mm -hmm. her choosing to step out of the Olympics. And what I loved is that you said, you know, as a public figure, we decide she's no longer an individual and that she kind of belongs to the collective. She belongs to us and she owes us something. So what we want from her or from any leader is more important than what that person needs or wants. And that was just such an aha moment for me that I would love for you to talk about, you know, what you're talking about when it comes to entrepreneurship. When people start a business, they're putting something that's deep inside of them out into the world as an offering for the world around them. And it's tricky. I mean, neurologically, the brain of an entrepreneur who's thinking about their company looks very similar to the brain of a parent who's thinking about their child. So it is this sense of almost fusion where, where does my company start and end and where do I start and end? That's a really messy question for a lot of entrepreneurs. And that means that when we go all in, when we step in the arena, to borrow your language, <laughs> borrowed from Brene. Who borrowed it from Roosevelt. Later. I think it's Teddy yes, Roosevelt. Roosevelt. Anyway, Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. <laughs> we're just all borrowing. <laughs> yeah. When we step in the arena as an entrepreneur or as anybody who's doing anything in public, anything that matters, anytime that we're stepping in and we're saying, here I am, this is what I got. We make ourselves really, really vulnerable. And so- how we put ourselves back together, how we protect ourselves, how we equip ourselves with a shield and a sword when we need to be in the arena, I think become really important questions because the business is going to rise or fall. It's going to succeed or fail. The monthly revenue is going to grow or not based on a lot of factors that are outside of our control. And so we need to do this dance of being able to go all in and rise with it and fight with it and fight for it. But then also at the end of the day, have the resilience to be separate enough to know if I got to walk away from the Olympics, if I got to close down this business, if I have to stop doing this thing that I thought was really important in order to save my own well-being, that that's a trade we know when and how to make. We're going to take a quick break. Can we just talk about time traveling well, though? That was such an aha moment. What I understand about mental health and what I've experienced myself is that ignoring the past can cripple you, but choosing to look at it can open you up to perspectives that will springboard you into a richer future than you can imagine today. So it's time we all find an authentic way to explore our inner worlds. When we get back, Sherry takes us through how to change our perspective on success and a new way to look at some of the losses we've all experienced and are working through post-pandemic. 
her take on this just blew me away. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives, like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career. I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with clinical psychologist and author Sherry Walling. When people talk about work-life balance, in the idea of entrepreneurship, it's trivializing the experience. Like, you can't say, like, well, there's me without kids and then me with kids. Right. I mean, it just depends I mean, on, like, yes, which shoes like... I'm wearing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't wear my heels to soccer practice. Right. right. So there is some shifting of identities. There's there's Leah, the podcaster. There's Leah, the dog mom. There's Leah, like, there's different parts of you. And being able to fluidly go in and out of those parts is a really important skill. But it's not segmented, especially in entrepreneurship. It's not like I'm working and not working. Like, I'm always kind of working because I'm always kind kind of thinking about my business. And I'm always kind of me because there's a big part of me that shows up in my business. So the fusion is dangerous in some ways, but it's also kind of cool because what a great way to live your life um, as an integrated whole and spend so much time on something that uh, feels like a really meaningful and interesting extension of you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm sure as an entrepreneur and for me as an entrepreneur with this show, it defines so much of who I am and, like you said, what I'm giving to the world. And I can imagine that for for you it's the same. For your husband it's the same. For mm -hmm. the people you work with, it's it's a part of you and it's a part of how you derive meaning from being human. Absolutely. I think as humans there's this really deep, deep part of us that wants to be seen, right? We want to show up on the planet and kind of wave to the world around us like, here I am. Here's what I have to offer. And we all do that in many, many ways. But I think at the core, that's what being an entrepreneur is. 
Which is incredibly brave. Yeah. I have a friend who just finished writing uh, her first book, and she showed me the cover the other day, and uh, and we were just talking, and I was like, this is incredible. I don't even think, you know, people realize how many people don't do this. You know, when, when you get into this world of being an entrepreneur or being a writer or being something public, the things that begin to feel small are really huge to people who have it inside of them, but would never have the courage to do it. Yeah. And I hope we never lose that sense of honor for what it is that we put together. You know, whether that's forming a business, starting a podcast, having a child, whatever it is that we're making and pouring ourselves into in the world, I think is sacred and it's profound. Mm. And it costs a lot of us, which is why the conversation around mental health is important, but it's such a worthy task and it's such a worthy thing to put effort toward. I want to comment too on the fact that, you know, I'm a millennial and I don't have kids yet. And there's this interesting perspective that I see from people when they understand how much I do put into my work instead Mm -hmm. of putting it towards having a kid Um, and maybe assumptions that they make. And so you sort of just connected dots for me, too, of like, no, I did have a kid. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes I say that, you know, I'll be like, actually, I have five children, the two humans and the PhD and the first book and the second book, you know, like everything that we're making kind of comes from us out into the world like a human if you were to decide at some point to birth a child. But um, your work can certainly have that it's a thing that you're making, that you're crafting, that you're giving yourself to that involves a lot of those late nights and sacrifice that, you know, people raising babies might experience. There's a shape shifting that's starting to kind of come together for me as I look at my career, as I look at the people in my life's career, as I look at other entrepreneurs' careers, which is um, it's really difficult, I can imagine, to let go of, you know, the company that you've built from scratch and what do you do if you've attached your identity to just that company instead of coming back to, like, why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, I'm recording this show and I love it and I want to keep doing it for a long time, but what I'm actually doing is I'm starting conversations and helping people understand how to reach their potential. But that could look very different in three years than I expect it to look. In fact, it probably will. And so sort of this like a decision to um, walk hand in hand with the possibility of shape-shifting because it could be a kid in three years. Um, And that could be where I focus my goal of human potential. Yeah. And I think that is where we return to that piece of our conversation about multiple kinds of arrivals. There are many arrivals. There are many successes. And the more rigid we are about that binary definition of like what I'm doing, if you were to say, I am making the best podcast and I'm going to be doing this forever. This is mine. You know, just the the rigidity around that, you know, I can guarantee will probably lead to a lot of heartache. So the fluidity, the flexibility is an important part of mental health, but it also allows us to adapt and adjust when things don't go as expected. And I think, you know, certainly the pandemic has been a great teacher in the the need to be able to pause and reset and find something new and do something new. So, so many people are doing that in the world right now. 
you know, something like what, 47 million people left their jobs last year, like some crazy huge amount of people are in flux and fluidity. And maybe some of them are focusing on raising kids. Some of them are starting businesses. Some of them are looking to other opportunities. But the world is in flux in a way that's exciting, but it's also painful because there's risk and vulnerability in those moments. Mm. When you and I um, had the opportunity to be together in person uh, not too long ago, and I asked you what you've been thinking about lately, and you said, I've been thinking a lot about grief. And I was like, whoa, I was not expecting. <laughs> and the whole table just got real quiet. <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute. Uh, me and you are two people who are probably really comfortable just like, you know, sure, let's go there. Go into um, the depths. Yeah. 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 But, you know, it, it piqued my interest because all of us have lost something in the last two years. It may not even be a person or, a you know, a relationship. It could be something we can't even put our finger on. So you have this book coming out called Touching Two Worlds, and you're talking about loss. Um, so what are you finding? What are you understanding about what we've lost in the last few years and how we can begin to process that as the world changes again? So many of us have lost freedom, right? We've all had to say, I'm not going to go where I want to go or do what I want to do or wear what I want to wear. I'm going to you know, wear a mask, stay home, do all these things. Um, and I'm in support of that, but it is a loss, right? Is our freedom and flexibility to move around the way that we want. All of us have lost plans, right? Weddings that we were going to attend. I mean, certainly lots of people had plans that they made that they had to cancel or change or lose. And then of course there is really significant loss of life. And most of us, I think, were within one or two degrees of separation from someone who passed away or at least had really serious or scary health complications from COVID-19. So loss is in the air. It's in the water. And I, I do think it's some of what's driving this um, really the significant changes in employment. You know, people are like not willing to spend a lot of time doing things that aren't meaningful anymore in light of how finite and precious their time is. Loss sharpens our sense of what's important to us and what's precious to us. And so my new book is really an exploration of loss. It's part memoir as I reflect on some of my own personal losses, but then I'm also wearing my, my clinical psychologist hat and my role as coaching and supporting high-functioning folks who, you know, are not exempt from hard things. So thinking about what are the what are the tips and strategies and tools that help to ground us when the world around us feels really unsteady or unpredictable or what are the things that help us to connect when our capacity to feel close and connected feels inhibited or broken. I think it's a really brave topic to broach. I think any any hard topic's a brave topic to broach because, you know, you go in knowing that people are going to be a little scared <laughs> and, and, and may not want to look at it. It's odd to connect business and grief, right? So when oh, you yeah. said entrepreneurship and grief, I was like, wait a minute. Can we prepare ourselves? You know, is, is 17 million people apply for, you know, to start their own businesses in the next year? Can we prepare ourselves for loss and for grief? You know, I think conversations like this are a really important bridge. My book is called Touching Two Worlds because it's in some ways my reflection on being part of the world of death and loss and grief, this sort of shadowy world, 
And also the world of these really alive people, the aliveness of the companies that I work with that are growing and building, the aliveness of my children who are growing and becoming. And so finding ways to have touch points in both worlds, I think, is important for all of us. So as business leaders, as professionals, to become fluent in grief, because it is one of those universals. If we're leaders, we're all going to have people that are on our teams or under our employment who lose family members. And so how do we support them? How do we show up for them? How do we have businesses that are mentally healthy and savvy enough to know that it's really important to send a card and flowers and follow up with folk after they've had a significant loss, that our ability to create spaces that are um, compassionate and present is also, it's good business sense um, as much as just it's just good human sense. One of my close friends lost her husband not too long ago. And one thing I learned firsthand is that grief is just not even close to being linear. And yet, you know, you work for a company that gives you two weeks off and you're supposed to come back and say, great, I'm ready to go now and, and call all these clients. Um, and so a, a hypothesis I'm, I have, and I'm curious about what your thoughts are, is that in this great reshuffle of people leaving their jobs and starting new ones, that yes, a lot of it has to do with meaning, but I wonder if it also has to do with bypassing the loss and the grief and if that will catch up to us. To sort of outrun it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's absolutely one of the forces at play is if I get up and go to a new situation, I won't be facing these things. I won't be seeing sad people. I won't be looking at loss. And I think you're right that that there's no outrunning it. Um, going to a new company, you're just entering a different story because everyone in the world has been impacted. Yeah, I think there's lots of factors at play with that. And I, I think a lot of them are grief related, whether we're trying to bypass it or whether we're listening to it and it's showing us that the things we've been doing maybe aren't as important as we thought they were and we want to do something else. Um, there's there's lots of ways that I think grief is maybe one of those foundational drivers of the great reshuffle. Yeah. So what advice do you have for people who are curious about exploring their grief and what's on the other side of grief to get them excited about it, yeah. <laughs> if possible. Here's my pitch for grief. <laughs> Jazz hands. <laughs> Give me the elevator pitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, one of the phrases that has been so meaningful, especially recently, is this phrase in and through. In and through. That when we are working with loss, there's no way around. There's only the in that goes to the other side. And I do think that grief is, you know, at its heart, it's an expression of love. It's a love story. When you are thinking about maybe someone that you've lost and you give yourself the time and emotional space to linger with their memory, to write about them, to put up their photo, to keep, you know, objects around your home that remind you of them. It's sad. It might bring those tears to the surface as you remember, but it's so loving and it's so present. And I think it makes your heart bigger and stronger when you can contain sadness and love together or when you can contain the reality of loss and death 
alongside the the bigness and the beauty and the aliveness of yourself and of your family and of those who are still around you. So grief is a worthwhile practice because it's loving, because it honors those who've passed on. But I think it's also it's also good for us. It's good for us to face and to go in and to go through and to tell the fullness of what someone has meant to us and who we are because of our interactions with them. All right, Dr. Sherry, I want to hear your three big answers. I'm going to have you complete these statements. Better humans are. Playful. Better work is. Thoughtful. And a better world has. Kindness. Love it. Thank you so much for joining me. I loved the conversation. Thank you so much for having me. That was Dr. Sherry Walling, entrepreneur psychologist and author of the new book, Touching Two Worlds. If you're starting something up or charting a new course in life yourself, I also highly recommend checking out her podcast, Zen Founder. I hope it brings you some mental peace and clarity. One big thing before we go. Well, really, it's three quick things that I can't help but make sure landed for you in the way they landed for me. Prioritizing your mental health is about time traveling well through your life. The idea of many arrivals helps you maintain your well-being, which includes mind, body, and soul. They are all connected. And finally, grief can be deeply painful, but it's also a love story. If today's show helped you on your journey, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. You can also find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential. Send me a quick message. Let me know how it's resonating. I'd love to chat. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien with help from Jordan Dahl and Kirsten Peterson. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thank you so much for coming on the journey with me, and I'll see you next week.